At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry. But before we go on with today's episode, let me tell you about a great sponsor of the 3 Yards Per Carry podcast. And that is AutoNation. If you're looking to buy or sell a vehicle, AutoNation is where you want to go. They're the largest auto retailer from coast to coast, and the friendly and knowledgeable staff here in South Florida will help you save big on huge selection of new cars, trucks, and SUVs, Toyota, Honda, Chevrolet, Mercedes-Benz, and much, much more. If you're looking to buy pre-owned, shop AutoNation's huge selection of one-priced pre-owned vehicles. They're all clearly marked with one price, their lowest price, guaranteed. Or if you just want to get rid of that old car, turn it in for cash today. Get a top dollar offer and check the same day. They'll buy your car with no purchase necessary. Is your check engine light on? Right now, get their services you need at low AutoNation prices. Oil changes, tires, batteries, and more. All for less. Call or visit AutoNation.com to schedule your appointment today. If you are in the market for a new car, DM us. At 3 Yards Per Carry, that's at the number 3 Yards Per Carry on Twitter. And I'll give you an AutoNation senior manager your info so they can reach out to you directly and walk you through the buying process. Now, on with the show. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. I have Chris Kaufman here. I have Simon Clancy here. And Simon, you remember last year one of our most faithful sponsors, BetDSI? Well, they're back for another season this year. And all you have to remember is use the code YARDS101. Use YARDS101 when you sign up with them at BetDSI.com, and you will get a 101% match bonus on your first deposit up to $1,000. Now, Simon, I heard you earlier today. I gave you what was, in essence, their game of the week, which is the Gators minus seven. And you said it's an easy cover. You really think the Gators are going to kick the crap out of the the Canes this this Saturday? Yeah, of course. I mean, Florida are a top-10 team this year. Dan Mullen's turned this team around. I mean, anybody that can turn Felipe Franks into a – Fairly decent quarterback who only throws what, six interceptions last season um, is meriting uh, the hype. Uh, they are uh, defensively, I would imagine, I would suggest that with Wilson and CJ Henderson, they've probably got the best one two punch of cornerbacks in the country. Um, Miami is starting a, what, a redshirt freshman quarterback. They've moved Tate Martell to wide receiver. Um, I, I mean, this is a comfortable Florida win for me. And, you know, 
with P Ryan at running back. Um, I mean, I, I can't see much more than Namakul P Ryan running for about 150 yards and the Gators winning by two touchdowns. It's on Orlando as well. It's not like it's, it's in Miami. I mean, it's in a neutral venue and, you know, there's going to be an awful lot of people driving up from the swamp for this one. I, this is a Florida this is a Florida win for me. Yeah, is Tate, was, Tate Martell's that wide receiver? They're moving him to wide receiver, and he's training yeah. there now. Yeah. Dolphins quarterback of the future. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, well, that's disappointing to, to, to hear because, you know, that's how we're going to kick off the football season down here in Miami. And you're saying that they're going to kick it off with a loss. That's my suspicion as well, by the way. Start as you mean to go on, Alf. I mean, I just, I, I, know, I just would like to Miami see football. them be competitive. I just don't want to see them get absolutely killed on Saturday. You know, I, I think you're for a pointing day then. <laughs> all right. Well, remember, you can bet all of that and more on betdsi.com. Remember to use the code YARDS101. Get a match bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Well, guys, Dolphins played a game. Okay. And depending on who you talk to, and we're gonna get we're gonna get started on this first because I thought that was the worst unit on the team last Friday. Depending on who you talk the to, the team, the team well, was the worst unit on the team. I would say the entire <laughs> offense was the worst unit on uh, on the team. But if there did, was did one, did you see unit, the defense? <laughs> if you if there was one unit, but wait, there's more. Yes, yeah. if there was one unit that was obviously pretty bad. Was the mm. offensive line? Depending on who you talk to. Mm-hmm namely Pro Football Focus, they think that Michael Dieter actually was elite in the game. And I charted his performance play for play, snap for snap, looked at the formation, looked exactly what they were supposed to do. And what I found is that it was pretty much an average performance. Now, if you wanted to take his snaps with Larry Tunsil and Daniel Kilgore, he was actually pretty good. But, you know, he played like about 32 more snaps with the other people. And that was not so good. And he was either average or below average. What did you see, Chris? I mean, I saw I saw a lot of I saw a lot of missed blocks and runs, in particular. But then there were clearly a couple of pass plays where, you know, listen, um, there were some challenging situations, and you know, maybe uh, m- maybe some other guys would have stepped in, stepped up and stuck to their blocks in these challenging situations. And, uh, and he didn't, and you know, he's a rookie. That's fine. It, it was understandable what he was and what he did in the game as a rookie, as a third rounder. Um, I didn't think it was good. I didn't think it was bad. Uh, I didn't think it was elite. Um, you know, that, that just kind of caught me off guard based on what I was seeing. Uh, so you know, that, for that, I had to disagree, but, um, you know, I didn't want to, I don't want to get into a pissing match with pro football focus over it. Uh, it's, it's just hard to see an elite performance out of what he did in that game. Um, saw some good, you know, fair amount of bad. So. Simon. Yeah. I mean, exactly the same. I mean, I saw some, some decent stuff actually. Um, but I also saw some pretty bang average, um, and, and look, I, Chris is right, not going into a pissing match because it's pointless. But, you know, I, I do find that whole pro football focus offensive line grading slightly 
and I'm not even going to say it actually because it just becomes this there's this whole pro football focus mafia that hang out on social media and anything you say about them is is <laughs> treated as if you've become some sort. Of, it's very weird. It's almost cultish, actually. Yeah. Um, they are beyond criticism, uh, which is is difficult. And um, um, I think it's Ryan who does the Dolphins. You know, I'm sure he does a very good job, and that's fine. But you know, you cannot sit there and it's very difficult to grade offensive line at all. doesn't matter who you are, you know, for Chris, for me, for you, for, for, you know, people that we know that have done this for a long time, it's hard to sit there and grade offensive line play because oftentimes you don't know what the play is. You don't know what a single person's responsibility is, you know, and and you can, you can hazard a decent guess. And the more, Mm -hmm. you know, the better you can hazard. But I I still say 60, 65% of the time you're right. And 35, 40% of the time you're wrong. So how you can sit there in less than 24 hours and turn around a, you know, a grading system of a player in terms of their offensive line performance when you don't actually know what their responsibilities are, I find that very difficult. And to turn around and say his performance was elite, I mean, an elite performer is, you know, you're looking at, a, you know, you're looking at a, one of the best players in the in the NFL in terms of, you're looking at a David Bakhtiari for Green Bay, you're looking at, a, you know, Zach Martin, you're looking at that kind of performance. You know, he he gave up a sack in the game. They admit that. I know. <laughs> So <laughs> he how, gave up a sack in the game. How can you be? How can you turn in an, an elite performance if you gave up a sack in the game? I mean, that's if you did that sixteen with, games. Because they only credit him with one pressure. I guess, but I mean, if you if you if you let up a, a sack at each game, that's sixteen sacks on the season. That's not that's not a good season for a guard. Trust me. No, and, um, and that's, let me tell you, I found out of the 40, 49 snaps that that he played, I found nine negative plays. And somebody asked me on Twitter. How can you say somebody was bad if they only had nine negative plays out of 49? And I'm and trust me when I tell you, when a guard has nine negative plays, he's probably blowing up three drives. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is that, and I don't, you know, I'm sure people are going to jump all over this, but a lot of people don't know what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely when it comes to football in terms of, you know, the X's and O's and responsibilities. An awful lot of people don't know what they're looking at when it comes to offensive line play. I don't mean that about the guy from PFF because I'm sure he does, but what I mean generally is fandom. Guy, fans yeah, right. don't necessarily know what they're looking at. You know, somebody had a go at somebody. I tweet, if you hadn't seen it, I tweeted in response to the guy from PFF saying that it was an elite performance by saying, look, it wasn't. I posted the video that Chris had posted, which showed Dieter holding up initially at the point and then losing his man, the the guy then coming up outside Dieter and he not being able to get a single, not being able to push him away and then gave up his inside shoulder and the geezer essentially sacked Rosen who stepped up in the pocket on a seven-step drop. Hilariously, even though it was in slow motion, some people thought that that given that Josh Rosen had had 10 seconds to throw, it was an amazing piece of blocking by Dieter until it was pointed out that it actually was slow motion and it only happened in like... (laughs) three seconds which uh, i thought was quite astonishing but one particular person said to me the the fault on the play was that of jared jones smith who absolutely collapsed uh, an inside rusher from right defensive end yeah he had a great block on that play (laughs) i mean it it was an absolutely textbook block but apparently it was was jared jones smith's fault that deeper had given up the sack so people do not know what they're looking at they do i mean look there was a play chris and i talked about there was a play there were a couple of plays, actually. But there was a specific play with Durham Smythe. Chris, you know the one, didn't you? Where, where Smythe yeah, sort yeah. Of came, came out of the backfield. Yeah. Chris and I surmised what we thought was going on. But mm-hmm. neither of us really knew. And look, That's I've been true. doing 
this is my 36th season as an NFL fan. And it must be, you know, Chris is 20 years older than me, so it must be. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, we've been, we, we could not ascertain what the play was, what the responsibilities were of the mm-hmm. particular players on that. It is very difficult. I just think it's not, you know, it, it's not a science to sit there and say player A was elite because that's just simply not true. And because, it's simply not true in part because we don't actually know what we're looking at. And, and let me give you another example. Uh, there was another – because there were two plays in particular on Jared Jones-Smith, or, or at least I think the wide perception was on Jared Jones-Smith. We were talking about one where, like, just based on the play design, this doesn't make sense, right? This – you know, you've got Durham Smythe or Smith uh, chipping the inside shoulder of the outside – of the outside edge rusher on a deep, you know, play action. He's setting up nine yards deep in the backfield. Um, it's the deepest play action setup, and yet you've got the tight end chipping the inside shoulder of the uh, of the edge rusher, and then leaving the left tackle to just try and mop it up, even though he has a terrible angle and spacing um, to try and do that. Uh, it's it, d- it didn't make sense. But there's another play where Jared Jones Smith is like left to guard, or he's he's trying to block two outside rushers, and it's like, well, I know he's I know he's wide, but you know he's not that wide. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, and and it's and you know on that play, let me give you an example of where we don't know and where I'm pretty sure, you know, other people grading don't know either. You know, Michael Dieter might might have been supposed to fan out on that, and I mean, it, it clearly it clearly clearly would have made sense for him to have to fan out on that. That's one of the ways that it would have made sense is if he um if he was if he had the responsibility to fan out. Uh, we don't know that, you know, I'm not saying that we do know that, but you know, neither do the people grading him elite. I, that's, that's the, that's the problem. Well, so, we do know that in, in a ZBS system, you're supposed to make contact and then try to find contact. And on pass pro, the way you find contact is by getting into your back pedal. So, yeah. so right, which he didn't, right. Which he didn't, which on that play, all you see is that he engages the guy who runs, who runs right into to Chris Reed. And yeah, he decides I'm just going to double like team this guy. Playing, playing a one technique, and he's you know exactly. And and then all of a sudden, all you see is Jared Jones Smith is left, you know, trying to block two guys. So yeah. so yeah, there's a there's a lot that you can discern like one way or the other. And and there was really a a sequence in the game, and I had him right here as I I'm looking at my little sheet right here, and it was uh plays 24 and 25, and they were both plays where you could ascertain whether he either missed the guy or didn't do enough and my notes on the two plays are inactive and beat and if you Mm -hmm. watch those plays the one where I call inactive he didn't block anybody Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard when you're in pass pro and you're playing left guard and you don't block anybody like there's something going on and they rush four (laughs) yeah it's the Russian four and you're finding no work I mean that's I mean I mean it it could be worse it It could be be worse absolutely I mean we've seen Dallas Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy Garoppolo could be our quarterback, so. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, let me tell you one thing, Simon, and I'll pose this question to you. Chris asked me on the WhatsApp chat, which means he asked you as well, Garoppolo for Josh Rosen, that'll lead us into quarterback talk, but Garoppolo for Josh Rosen, do you do it, Simon? Um, do you know, it's really weird because we had this conversation about six months ago. Well, I was absolutely adamant and got sort of slightly moody about the idea that the 49ers would sack off Jimmy Garoppolo because of how well he played before he got hurt. And I was like, 
guys, seriously, pack it in because you're really getting on my tits. And now, <laughs> look, I know, I know he's only played one one preseason game, and it's one preseason game. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I think right. he, I don't think he's had a completion against the Broncos tonight. I think he's thrown yeah. two picks um, in sort of limited action. It is his first game since coming back from the injury. But you know, not he's just not, that because there was a practice report. Do you remember it? Where he's like, he was. threw five picks in a row. <laughs> Yes. He threw five straight interceptions and five straight throws. Um, <laughs> although the, uh, what I loved, the, 49, the, the official 49ers uh, Twitter account had, had an article called Why Jimmy Garoppolo Throwing Five Straight Interceptions in Five Throws Isn't a Big Deal. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 there used to be a Russian news agency called TASS that used to deliver like the great news from Russia, even though like the world, the world was falling in. It used to, you know, it was like President Gorbachev is still a very handsome man and in charge of Russia when, you know, when the, 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 the whole country had just been nuked or whatever. It's a similar story. It's a similar story. It's like the scene in, in Mars Attacks when the president played by Jack Nicholson, yeah. by the way, they blow up, they blow up the Supreme Court and Congress, and then, and then he says, we still have one branch of government left, and that ain't bad. <laughs> yeah. There's a, um, hilariously, I've just followed that link from the 49ers, and it has, um, it has another article uh, which is entitled, Most 49ers Fans Want to See Jimmy Garoppolo Play a Maximum of Two Series Versus the Broncos. You're not fucking kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, this that brings before up. the game. Well, that brings anyway. us to our, our own problems at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'll start with Chris on this one. Mm, sure. You you had an interesting tweet today, and well, I'll, I'll let you expound on it. And it was about the the pass snaps that each quarterback has had this preseason. Take main away. main point being, uh, you know, Josh Rosen has shot a shot, and now he's just got to wait. He's got to wait and find out if it was good enough. Um, that was my only point, really, is that if you look at the snaps. And what Rosen has got, he's got like almost, he's got like 50 snaps basically in the preseason. And Fitzpatrick has gotten like 20. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not close. Mm-hmm. And if you also think about the fact that Rosen started both of the, you know, with the first string, both of the joint practice days that I was there here in Tampa, um, that was Josh Rosen with the ones and Fitzpatrick with the twos. And, and if you think about those two days, that's almost like, two more preseason games because for all the evaluation um, tapes that you're getting on, uh, on these guys against another team. So Josh Rosen has gotten in his, his punches at this point. And now you notice right after the game, like, you know, didn't even review the tape, nothing. There's nothing to review. Brian Flores is like Ryan Fitzpatrick starts the next game. He starts the third game. And uh, a lot of people confuse that for meaning that he's won, and that's not true. Um, but I think that was preordained. It's like, okay, we're going to give this week against Tampa, we're going to give Josh Rosen his ability to, to get in with the ones and try and do some stuff in joint practice and then try and do some stuff in the Buccaneers game. And then the following week is going to be the game planning week where we're going to game plan for the Jaguars and we're going to have Ryan Fitzpatrick go in there and see what he can really do with this offense. And that's what's going to happen this week. And I, th- I expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to start. I expect him to get the bulk of the snaps with the first string. Um, I don't expect him to come out quickly. And I expect that they're going to be game planning the game and really putting their best foot forward and trying to 
trying to be impressive. And if all goes according to plan, they're probably going to end up starting Fitzpatrick in week one against the Baltimore Ravens. But what the main point being is like, you know, everybody, I see articles, what does Josh Rosen need to do to improve and win the job? And I'm, I'm saying it's, I'm, I'm not saying too late, but I mean, like he's gotten in his licks at this point. Now he just has to wait and see if Ryan Fitzpatrick comes up and grabs it you know, in this, this third game against the Jaguars. And if he does, then there's not really much that Josh Rosen can do about it. If he doesn't, if uh, he pukes on his shoes, and we know Ryan Fitzpatrick, we know he's fully capable of that, um, then Josh Rosen probably will start week one. Simon, what's been your, your, your main take of – you watched these two games. What's been your, your main take from, from Rosen? Has he underwhelmed to you? Would you use that word or – or, you just, um, or do you really want to see more? I mean, for me, there is no I, – I do not understand why you would start the season with without Rosen starting a quarterback. Mm. I mean, I just, it just makes no sense to me. It, and even if, even if Ryan Fitzpatrick is 50 times better, it <laughs> makes – but it makes, no, it makes no sense to me because Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to be here in a year's time or two years' time. Josh Rosen potentially could be potentially could be but you need to see whether or not you know you've got these 14 picks in next year's draft you need to see whether or not you need to use one on a quarterback or not or whether you've got your own and if josh starts the season or spends six games or eight games or 16 games sat down with ryan fitzpatrick you don't actually get a fair evaluation of what he's doing mm-hmm. i mean it, it just makes no sense you may Is, as well just it's not we're not going to win the super bowl we're not going to get to the playoffs so you may as well just see what you have once you see is, what you have, is the fair the- evaluation already happening though? Like, you know, is the fair evaluation, you know, hey, you can't beat Ryan Fitzpatrick, then, you know, what the hell are you really? Yeah, but I'd like to see him in game situations. I mean, it's a fair point yeah. about practice, but let's go out and play the games. I mean, the guy, mm-hmm. yep, you know, it wasn't a great season, but he played. He made some good throws last year. He made some bad throws, but let's see, you know, let's see some improvement because you kind of feel like it should be there, right? I mean, it should be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to know, you've got to get to the end of the season. You, we can't be sitting in a situation where we as fans and beat writers and national commentators, uh, commentators are sitting there going, well, I mean, Tua Tonga has had a great season. He won the Heisman and Justin Herbert looked great and Jordan Loves looks amazing and Jacob Eason was amazing. But the Dolphins still don't quite know what they have in, in draft. We can't be in that situation. No. We can't yeah. be in that I feel, situation. I feel like they're not, though, because I think that there's already that commitment to get those guys to one. Yeah, no, for sure. They better be. For sure. Right. But we can't but, be in a situation where we don't know what we have in Rosen yet. We, I look at it we, as a little bit of like graduating, like, you know, because what I'm seeing in Josh Rosen in the preseason where things aren't really full speed is, you know, I'm seeing a lot of mechanical mechanical progressions. I mean, it's it's he's going through these progressions very slowly. And if you're going through it slowly in preseason, it doesn't bode well because what he's doing is – and. He's, you know, you know how they say all the time when you're evaluating quarterbacks coming out for the draft, he's got to see it before he throws it, right? He's yeah. got, he's, he's not throwing with anticipation. Well, he's turning one read into two because he's got to see it and before he throws it. I mean, if you're reading, if you're reading like a curl flat or, or a slant flat or something like that, um, you know, he'll, he'll read the flat, decide against it, then read the curl and then throw it instead of just, you know, reading the curl flat and throwing it, you know, it's, it's, that's what I'm seeing a lot. And you can see it particularly when you watch him in his footwork, 
and you can see the hitches like you know his hitches are kind of you can see his decision making uh in his feet I and mean, the feet are always tied to the to the mind with a quarterback so i i look at him like if you're doing that in the preseason it, it's not like it's you graduate to the to the regular season and things start go even faster and get even more hectic. It's not like it's going to get better, you know. It's it's like you need to you need to show that you can go through your progressions in a fluid manner. Um, and there's like a six man rush that happened in the game, right? And mm-hmm. Mark Walton's in the backfield trying to block Kevin Minter, and and God bless uh, he and he and Mike Gesicki are the extra blockers. So it's it's Max Protect. Um, but you know, if you, if you get great pass pro reps out of Mark Walton in the backfield and Mike Gasecki on the line, then that's like winning the lotto. Um, but on this play, they happened, they happened to actually block pretty well. Uh, so, but still, he took three and a half seconds to go through, you know, he's just kind of lollygagging his way through the progressions yeah. for three and a half seconds. And meanwhile, Kevin, Kevin Minter's breathing them down the back of his neck and he didn't even step up. He didn't even step up to help out his his back, and uh, and he, that ball was begging to be sack strip, and that's that's just kind of the, the progressions. Like other people, I saw Brian Baldinger pull, pull up the play. And it's like he's going to his third read or his fourth read on this play, and and you know just getting the ball out. I'm like, yeah, but look how much lo- how ta- how much time it took on a play where they were sending two extra guys, and he didn't even help anybody out by by stepping up. I mean, this is. This is the the awareness and the the anticipation aren't there, and if they're not even there in preseason, yeah. Then how how's it going to get better? How's it going to get better in the regular season? Mark Walton did so well in pass protection that um, I think he's been playing some offensive line. <laughs> he's he had a perfect game according or an elite uh, yeah. performance according elite, to uh, Pro Football I mean, at left I mean, guard. I, I think because I, I didn't really see much of the first game against Atlanta, and I watched most mm. of well, I watched all of this game, and I watched the first half of it live. Even I, and I know I am the main detractor of this team this season, but even I was surprised at how bad we were. I mean, especially on offense, that offensive line is is an absolute unmitigated car accident. And I've just yeah, been. Um, they take I mean, turns, don't they? Don't yeah. they? I mean, and I'm in, and this kind of skill position players, it's like, you know, they're, they're like rubberneckers. They, you, they almost don't run mm-hmm. their routes because they're like so interested in seeing what calamity is going to happen <laughs> on the line next. And I'm, I'm currently in Florida, so I'm in the same time zone as you boys now. And, and we've just been out for dinner and we went to some sports bar just because that's what the kids wanted us to do. And um, Green Bay, Baltimore from last week was on. And that Baltimore defense is going to eat that Dolphins offensive mm-hmm. line for breakfast. I mean, they're going to line Matt Juden up on the right-hand side, and Juden is going to absolutely destroy that right-hand side. You look at Tony Jefferson, Earl Thomas, they've got Marlon Humphrey back there, Jimmy Smith. I mean, Pernell McPhee still playing at a decent level. Brandon Williams. I mean, th- that, that offense is going to absolutely... They're not going to be able to run the ball. And then you, you watch the Ravens, you flip it over, you watch the Ravens run the ball, you know, with mm-hmm. that four-headed running back monster, Kenneth Dixon and Jackson and whoever at Mark Ingram and whoever else they've got in there. And then, you know, they've got Hunter Henry back and, uh, and Andrews is playing brilliantly. And they've got um, the other kid, um, Nick, whatever his name is, the time. Forget all those guys. Lamar Jackson's going to run the ball 200 times. Boyle, Nick Boyle, that's right. Lamar Jackson, and you know. And, and he might got, run it 30 times against us. Exactly. And, I mean, it's just, you, you just think, wow. I mean, they're, they're just going to eat us up. 
the offensive line in particular, I mean, you see them try and zone block, and it, it, it just ends up looking like a, a Roman tragedy. Um, it, it's, it's really bad, uh, particularly if you think about, like, Jesse Davis as a right tackle. Okay, well, you know, we, we knew kind of what he, what he was going to do at right tackle. You, I mean, on, he's not going to be good on zone. Maybe front side on zone, but no, certainly not back side. Not back side, no. Yeah, uh, and you know, you know what that's – that's going to be like and Daniel Kilgore at center okay he was uh, he was priority replaced in San Francisco I mean they spent a billion dollars on Weston Richburg just after signing you know um, Kilgore to a backups contract they spent a billion dollars on Weston Richburg to play center because they knew Daniel Kilgore can't play center in his own right so I mean this is why and then when they signed Richburg he was like uh yeah can you guys trade me and so they did um Have you, but I mean so he can't play he can't play zone so they're running zone plays and they're running it with like you know a center that can't really you know be in zone and they're doing it with two guards who you know I, listen whatever Shaq Calhoun was in college and he was pretty good but he was pretty good good as a pass protector he was not yeah. very good as a run blocker and Michael right. Dieter, I would say even, you know, he's more of a pass protector than a run blocker, even though some people are disagreeing with that right now, but that's, that's his yeah. history. Um, so you, it's going to be rough trying to do that. And yet they're trying to do it. And it's, it's like, oh, you know, okay. <laughs> I might be inclined to, um, I might have been inclined to put Jared Jones Smith at right tackle, kick Jesse Davis back inside to his position at guard last year. And even mm-hmm. let's have a look at, let's have a look at Reed or Dieter at center mm-hmm. and, you know, best man who doesn't win. Sure. I mean, you could, you could see Tunsil, Dieter, Reed, um, Davis, Jared Jones Smith. I mean, I, I thought Smith, Jones Smith, had a couple of really bad reps, but actually, I watched it back. He did, and actually, he played. He, he actually played all right. And you think? Yeah, I'm not sure why. Would he had you, a couple, but then he played yeah. all right on a lot of others. I mean, yeah. he's got a ridiculous wingspan. Ridiculous yeah. wingspan. I tell you what. I tell you what is interesting. I mean, we know that he's good, but when you watch Laramie Tunsil with those stiffs yeah. that he's playing with, even on a starting unit, you're like, yes. "My God, he's good." His footwork and his ability to get up out of the, into his stance and then into his kick side is ridiculous. He mm-hmm. is so quick, and he yeah. just looks like men against boys with those um, with those guys he's up against. Right. We are going to spend eight seconds previewing the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Miami Dolphins, which is our third preseason game, the longest uh, preseason game for potential starters to play. And then we're going to do something uh, fun, which is dig into the quarterbacks for the 2020 draft. Beyond the obvious, there are some other guys that are rising up. We probably were the first, uh, and I would say that's not even probably. We definitely were the first to tell you about Jordan Love about seven years ago, and now we're going to tell you about some other players that we like and think could start to make some moves. Anyway, before we get to that, we have this. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, who you may not know. And O.J. McDuffie. Who you definitely know. And we're getting ready to dive back into the fish tank. That's right, Drew. Season 2 of the Fish Tank Podcast right here on the 5 Reasons Sports Network kicks off on Tuesday, August 6th with our biggest catch yet. Hall of Famer Jason Taylor. I got the first hit in, and then he proceeded to, to grab my face mask. And he I swear to God, I've never seen anybody throw so many uppercuts <laughs> in so little time. And he hit me in my stomach, my solar plexus, <laughs> and my esophagus. <laughs> but it was like it was like it was on a, like a boomerang. Like I just kept boomeranging. 
<laughs> but the whole time he was holding my face mask and my head couldn't move. Hey, bobblehead. Sw- like, this was Boomerang before Boomerang. He was even out on phones. So don't miss JT, OJ, DJ Preach, and myself. And all new guests. And most importantly, more of the best Miami Dolphins stories that you've never heard. Exactly, Big Seth. We've got an amazing lineup of your favorite Dolphins from guys I play with to guys I looked up to and even some players you'll be cheering for this season. Hey, hey, don't forget those of us who work behind the scenes, Yeah, hey, you too. know I won't do that, man, because the fish tank takes you where no other Dolphin podcast can with some of the funniest, wildest, and most interesting stories of what goes on with your favorite team, players, and coaches when the cameras aren't watching. You can find the fish tank on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you do your podcast listening. So subscribe and start downloading today. Thanks for diving in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Ricky J. Mark. In a world where sports radio continues to shift around the whims of corporate interests, we understand that the constant, unexpected changes can be exhausting from time to time. So that's why we think you should sit back, relax, and take five. Uh, reasons, that is. So go ahead. Grab your smartphone and subscribe to the Five Reasons Sports Network, available on virtually every podcast platform. We're South Florida's fastest-growing on-demand sports media network, so you decide when you want to tune in. You decide when you want to listen. Because we know your life can be hectic, go ahead, fall in love with our lineup, including Five on the Floor, Three Yards Per Carry, The Fish Tank, light-skinned opinions, and Cinco Razones, whenever you want. All you need is an internet connection. So go ahead, tune in, try us out. We're by Miami, for Miami, and spreading rapidly throughout South Florida. Carry. I am. Stop laughing. I am. <laughs> this is the stuff that happens before we come back in. These idiots are laughing because they think they're funny. They're not. Um, I am Lord of Clancy, uh, Lord of the Three Yards Per Carry Manor. Uh, and these two twats are junior ministers in the interior, uh, Chris Kaufman and Alfredo Arteaga. Right, boys. It is. Yes, exactly. It is the Jacksonville Jaguars with Nick of Foles, a quarterback, um, this week at the preseason game. The game uh, that um, coaches like to play their starters at least until halftime and oftentimes early. Yeah, absolutely. Early into the third quarter. Um, Although at least that's how it used to be. It's kind of not quite as much these days. But anyway. Um, what are we looking for briefly? What are we expecting? Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick will start according to according to Brian Flores, but what can we hope for? I mean, the only way really is up because it's been so bad. But where are we looking for a few chinks of, uh, of light before we head into what is essentially the Patsy game week four? Well, I'd like to see you know, Kellen Balazs, and we know that... Oh, my uh, God. He's not going to have sex with you. He's not going to have sex with you. He's not going to play, okay? We know that. 
because he's already said that he hopes to be ready for week one, which means he won't play in the preseason. So I'd like to see Kellen Balazs, who's going to be the focus of the offense for now, play well, get some carries, get over four yards per carry, maybe a touchdown, catch the ball cleanly out of the backfield, you know, pass protect well, and generally look competent. That's what I'd like to see, at least on, on offense. I was speaking of Kale and Bellage in the running game. I, I guess what I would want to see is what they're going to focus. Because listen, I, I mentioned zone plays before and how that can be problematic with the offensive line they got. Well, first off, they have said, or Brian Flores has said basically that it sounds like or looks like they've got their starting five for the offensive line. Um, so that would be Laramie Tunsil and Michael Dieter and Daniel Kilgore, Shaq Calhoun, and um, Jesse Davis at right tackle. So that that sounds like it's going to be the line heading into week one against Baltimore. So that's going to be the line heading into this game, into the dress rehearsal. But they have weaknesses. So how are they going to account for that uh, uh, in the run game in particular? Are they going to, you know, what kind of run plays are we going to see? Um, and, and will it work? I mean, that's what I want to know. So I, I, I want to see, can, can it work uh, the way that they call the plays for them? And, um, you know, can Kale and Balazs run those plays? Uh, that, that'll be really interesting to me. Um, obviously, at quarterback, you're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick getting the start and trying to equalize the, the lopsided snap counts and, and finally get his shot to really show whether he can be the starter for the season. Um, like I said, if he pukes on his shoes, could be uh, could be Josh Rosen week one. If he does really well, then it's probably going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick week one. Um, given, sorry, given the um, given the um, the fact that we have you know borderline morons running the plays in terms of the actual players on the field, how impressed or otherwise have you been about the actual play designation itself in terms of the design? Uh, and because uh, we can't really judge the actual um, how they're carried out, but in terms of you know, uh, and also coaches don't want to show their hand too much. But in terms of some of the things that you're seeing, how impressed or otherwise are you of Chad O'Shea's at least his, his design? I love it. I love it. I absolutely adore his offense, and you know why I do? Because it's the offense that I ran in high school about 27 years back in the back in the 1920s, was it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Leather helmets. Yes, exactly. I, I wore a leather helmet with with, and I was, I think, one of the first guy on my team to have like one bar across one of those. Mm. But I absolutely you a kicker. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, strong safety and fullback. But I love this offense. Thirty six crossbook counter. They run. They run leads. They run power. Uh, the offense, you know, it's it's you know, it's modern. It's a lot of over routes a lot of flood concepts. So, you know, there's nothing really lacking as far as the pass offense, but the, but the offensive system, as far as running the ball is as bare bones as you can get. And sometimes offensive linemen enjoy running a play that is synchronized. And I think it keeps them more involved, to be honest with you. When you're running a little bit more intricate play, I think, I think guys enjoy knowing that your coaching staff, has enough faith in you to move over a couple of holes to hit, hit somebody. So, yeah, I love I love this system. I absolutely love this system. They need offensive linemen to run it, though. That's the problem. I think it's looked pretty good, in, particularly in the red zone. I think that you can tell that that's, 
that's where Chad O'Shea's specialty was in New England when he was the wide receivers coach. He was the play caller and the um, or really the game plan designer in the red area, particularly. And um, I don't know if he had the actual play calls in the red zone or if he just had input or whatever. But I think that you can tell that they're they're pretty good at creating spacing in the red zone, creating opportunities. Um, so that stood out to me on offense. On defense, um, I, I think that we've seen a lot of what they've promised to do uh, with defensively um, with a lot of extra defensive back usage and different uh, – we've seen even fronts. We've seen uh, a lot of um, like sort of bare fronts. Uh, they call them different things in New England's playbook, uh, but I don't know if that's ported over to Miami or not, whether they use the same terms. Um, but yeah, you, you see a lot of that. Uh, you see a lot of that stuff. You see extend fronts. You see, um, you know, some some different uh, nickel and dime packages, and uh, a positionless defense, I guess. And um, and that's that's an, that's promising to me if they can get the players for it. That's the really that's the really tough question because do they have the players for that right now? I mean, we saw I mean, a lot of people are really excited about Jerome Baker, and I can understand why he's a good player. And I do have hopes for him. But just in this game, and we were kind of arguing it in WhatsApp, and, and you know, Alf thought he did really well, and he had the quarterbacks running for their lives and stuff. But I was like, listen, he had, he had three shots, at, at not two at Jameis Winston, one at Blaine Gabbert. And, and he, he went 0 for 3. I mean, he, he, uh, he had clean shots at Jameis Winston, two of them, and Jameis Winston shucked him right off. And uh, and this is where you're like you're a little worried that Jerome Baker because he's what six foot oh and maybe two twenty or something like that. It's like yeah, I mean that that could happen because he's not very big. Although and he so, says that he's about two hundred and thirty two pounds this year. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll see. Um, but I mean that's that could happen. He's not a very big player. So when you see a quarterback just kind of you know just kind of shedding him, uh, and, and then running and and being able to do something about it. That's a that's a red flag to me because they might have him in mind for this role, like you saw with Dante Hightower or Kyle Van Noy in New England, where they're doing a lot of pass rushing off the edge. They're doing a lot of blitzing, a lot of A-gap blitzes and stuff like that, uh, as opposed to I brought up Gerard Mayo, who hardly ever rushed the passer back in the day for the New England Patriots. Um, you know, I get a little bit concerned if they're going to rely on him to be pass rush as opposed to some of the other defensive linemen where we know we have deficiencies. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think that um, I, I still want to see more of it, obviously. Uh, but I, I get worried. I get worried that they might be putting some of the players in the wrong positions. I think we're starting to see some warning lights right now, a little bit that way with Minka Fitzpatrick as well. Um, and so, so that's the, some concerns there. Um, give me a name, or give me three names briefly of three players for whom this game is career-definingly massive for who really needs uh, a big game here out of the, the your your three your choices well one is one that's really and you can't say Caleb Balage because he won't have sex with you if you say it <laughs> one, that's really, one that's really intriguing to me is is it possible that they're going to find a way to get Kiko Alonso out of here yes okay so does he play at all? No. The other guy that I would 
really be intrigued and in, as far as like seeing you know what he does is Cornell Armstrong. He's been getting into that third unit last game. He got some second unit play. Does he get some first unit play at cornerback? Does he get is he does he become the fifth guy that they try out opposite of Xavier Howard? He's another guy. And the third guy is Sam Aguavan, as he says. Mm-hmm. Does he solidify his starting position? And is is it him and Jerome Baker for the majority of the snaps this year at linebacker? Is that what we're going to see this year? Those are the three guys that I'm looking forward to. Chris? I think that um, – well, first off, is it already happening again with Devontae Parker? Um, you know you know what I mean? Like, yeah. missing time. He's not He's not a practice. He wasn't at the Yeah, the, the good thing is that this time we don't care at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because because he's going to be replaced by Preston Williams, and we all right. love him. So, um, but, you know, but I think, isn't that fair? Like, we're getting to the time where it's like, Hey Devonte, if you if you pull this again, you know maybe Preston is gonna just run with it, right? And and that would be career impacting, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, for for Devonte Parker. So you know that's that's one thing to look at. Um, I think Josh Rosen has to be worried that it's not even his own performance because I don't know how much meaningful time he's gonna get, really get in there to to change any sort of evaluation or narrative that the coaches privately have about him. Um, but if Ryan Fitzpatrick runs away with this, then that's career impacting because, you know, listen, it's one thing if you are, if you have a rough rookie season in Arizona as a top 10 pick, um, it's another thing if you get, you're given a chance to compete at somewhere else with, an old guy who is has not been very good in his career, uh, and you can't beat him. You can't be because because I think that if Ryan Fitzpatrick has a great game in Jacksonville, then he's the starter. And if that happens, then that could be impactful to Josh Rosen's career hmm. because I mean it's you know let's let's face it, you were supposed to be he was supposed to be a potential elite franchise player when he was taken. That's why you're taking a, a number 10 overall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do people imagine that an elite franchise caliber quarterback gets beat out in this manner by a Ryan Fitzpatrick of all people um, in a system that's supposed to favor Rosen much more and, and such and whatnot. So uh, that could be impactful. Um, I think, you know, I don't, See, it's it's hard to tell who's also going to play. Like, and and I think that you mentioned some line. You mentioned linebackers. You mentioned like Kiko Alonso. You know, Raekwon's got to get in the, get in there at some point, yeah. right? I mean, because clock is ticking, and ever Sam Aguavon is running with it a little bit. Yeah, and um, and at some point, you know, because Raekwon he don't play like what Andrew Van Ginkel does the the wow. the sort of positions that that um that Van Ginkle plays and that Nick DeLuca is playing sort of in his place while Van Ginkle is is going through some injury issues of his own um so you know Raekwon's got to get back into this thing and and then actually show what he can do in this defense and it you know it might be the, it, it might be too late I don't know it might honestly be too late but um those those are kind of the guys that I'm that I'm thinking of right off the bat that that need some big games. I think that there's also a possibility, um, as far as career impact goes, 
I don't know what's happening with Zach Stirrup, but one of Zach Stirrup or Jared Jones Smith is going to get that that swing backup position. Mm-hmm. And I don't know which, you know. So you know, Stirrup didn't didn't play, and um, and Jared Jones Smith had some challenging plays, but also had some like really good ones. Like you can put together a top ten reel of his from this game, and you'd be like, wow, he's a good tackle. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but so Stirrup needs to actually follow up and have a good game or Jared Jones Smith needs to follow up and say, I can do better than those plays where I like let up a sack and, and those other, you know, kind of bad look plays on zone, um, on zone blocking and stuff like that. So those, those are kind of some guys. Now, let me ask you guys uh, one question before we move on to, to the rookie quarterbacks coming out in 2020. Do you think that they have a preconceived notion of who the tight ends are going to be? Because not that I'm going to stick up for a guy from the U, but Clyde Walford has had a good camp, has played well in these preseason games, had a good scrimmage, but he can't get mm. off of the third team, and they keep playing the same guys in the same roles since day one of camp and in every preseason game. So they had a pre- do you think that they had a preconceived notion of who the tight ends were going to be, Simon? Um, not. I don't think so. I don't think they. I don't think they've got a preconceived notion about anybody. And I think we'll we'll discover that when there's a few surprising roster cuts made, which I think there will be. Um. So no, I don't. I think, um, especially at tight end, it's such an open competition. I think Nick O'Leary's probably jumped to the head of the queue in terms of certainly in terms of pass catching, although. Uh, his uh, blocking left somewhat to be desired on uh, in the game against Tampa Bay at the weekend, especially a specific play in which he got absolutely destroyed, um, which was quite funny. Chris and I were laughing at. Um, <laughs> I, I think the most disappointing thing has been the lack of graduation of Mike Gesicki. Um Especially as know, a pass catcher. He's yeah. actually... The blocking hasn't been so bad. No, it's been yeah. all right, actually. It's been all right. He's but, yeah. been all right at getting in the way of people. That's... that's yeah. you know, that's I don't... I don't know whether he's not built up trust with quarterbacks. I don't know whether he's not, or he's just mm. not getting open. I don't know what it is um, because the athletic ability is there, the talent's there, but he just doesn't quite seem to to have clicked, um, which is a disappointment. I, I think. I think he would benefit from the ball getting out a little bit more on time. I've seen some yeah. some opportunities where the ball kind of either shouldn't have gone to him, like should have gone to somebody else, or because he's you know he's covered, um, or uh, or if if you get the ball, like there was a there was a third. I forget if I forget which down it was. I think it was a third and goal, and um and Rosen kind of he he read the middle of the field, clicked over, and again it's like you read the middle of the field, you click over, you throw it, it's boom, you know. And um and instead he he read the middle of the field, he clicked over, and they looked at it for a little bit, and then he threw it. And when by the time he got the ball there, you know Gasicki's almost on the sideline. Yeah, and he's trying. He's yeah, got he had about two or three yards to work with. Yeah, yeah. So he had he had very he had very little runway uh, left uh, before he gets to the sideline to try and turn up the field and get into the end zone. And he also had two guys like all over him, and that's just that's just a function of the ball being late. But if if the ball wasn't that late, if it was a couple of split you know split half a second earlier or something like that, he has a little bit more runway. Listen, this guy can jump over the moon. So, I mean, that, that's exactly the situation you want for him. You want him to catch it just a, a little bit earlier 
have enough runway to to turn up and then try and leap into the end zone and then he's got the big superman highlight real play yeah um and, and that's what he needs he needs more of those he needs those those sort of highlight real plays to to make an impression on everybody yeah and have you also noticed that they play him a lot in split at split end Mm -hmm. yes they do and and there's another one he, he i mean the slant that yeah. slant play could have gone for 30 plus Absolutely. i mean that and it but it was behind him and you can say well gasicki dropped it and that's fair um you know everybody if it hits your hands you, sh you should get it but that was bang bang it was it was right it was right on him balls right on him right away and you, you throw it out in front of you gotta throw it out in front of the guy on those bang bang plays and uh, if he does He's running for thirty plus yards, and we're gonna see we're gonna see fireworks at that point because he, Mike Gesicki with a load uh, uh, with a full head of steam. Uh, that's when he starts doing the crazy stuff, you know, athletically, and uh, you know, just just throw it to him. <laughs> just, just throw it to him. Just keep throwing it to him. Yeah, same thing with Preston Williams. Think about how yeah. close we were to absolutely having the 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 hype train just derail completely into. Oh into into orbit we would have gone into into we would have gone to the moon had he just caught that slant to start the game which would have gone for a 75 yard touchdown all he has to be all he has to be is faster than the linebacker the same yeah, i don't know if, i don't know if i don't know if he would have beaten if he would have he gotten, also, i don't know he didn't play very well no he didn't no. he didn't no, play he, very well at all he legitimately dropped like yeah balls, he really uh, did yes and then if he gets that other foot in bounds, that's a touchdown. And that knows? was that was so close. It was like yeah. two centimeters or something like that. That was almost going to be highlights, you know, Sports Center. And by the way, I love that decision. I love that decision by Josh Rosen. Okay, it was a great. It was. It was a great decision. It was great under timing and great at throw. Point, at that point, what was there? Eighteen seconds left in the game. It was thirteen, third and twelve, and it was, um, you know, it was like eighteen seconds left or something like that. Hell yeah! Just throw it. Just throw a fifty-fifty ball up there for for Preston mm -hmm. Williams and see. Great timing too, and play. great and great placement. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we've talked enough about the Dolphins uh, and the game that they played against the Buccaneers, which kind of depressed some, um, including us. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the Jaguars game, what to expect. Now we want to get into something special, uh, Alf. You can talk about this a little bit, but we plan on doing something during the season because I think most of us are looking at the 2020 quarterbacks class uh, in college. And so we plan on uh, updating you on kind of the progress of the quarterbacks via the fivereasonsports.com website. Um, and Alpha, why don't you give the listeners what, what you have in mind that way? Yeah, during the regular season, if you go to fivereasonsports.com, you will have a clearinghouse, essentially that will be updated every single Friday of the top four quarterbacks. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper as far as, you know, who the rookie quarterbacks are, but mainly the, the big four, meaning Tua Tungabailoa, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, those four guys, every story that's on them on the internet, we're going to put it out there. We're going to have game evaluations. We're basically going to have a hub to follow those four guys throughout the season and right up until the draft. Yeah. And with that said, you know, we kind of want to give the, since we do follow these quarterbacks, we, we've all looked at them. We've, um, we know their strengths and the weaknesses we've been talking about. And Simon, Simon and I have been talking about Jordan Love since November of uh, 2018. Um, it's, it's been, it's been a while. Uh, 
you know, we want to give a lay of the land. And uh, I, I know that we have those four. We've, we've talked about those four plenty, plenty of. I have some guys that I like to, to look at aside from them. But before I get to them, I want to see, you know, what Simon, what guys that Simon is, wants to look at. Aside from those big four, Tuatunga Vailoa, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, and Jake Fromm. Which, which guys are you really most intrigued with, Simon, uh, looking at this season? Well, I mean, there's a guy that you and I both like that you brought my attention to, and that's Desmond Ridder of Cincinnati, who I know you're going to talk a bit about. He's totally flying under the radar. Had a really good season last year with the Bearcats, who had a terrific season generally. I think he only ended up throwing five interceptions all year. Mm-hmm. He's got big arm talent. He's mobile. He's six foot four. He's a guy that's really a kind of, if you want to take Jordan Love this time last year, that's Desmond Ridder in terms of the sort of national hype train, which is none at all. Um, he's a guy that could really, uh, I mean, I think I, I'm very intrigued by him. I'm, I'm intrigued by, by KJ Costello um, mm. out on the West Coast with Stanford. I, I think Stanford are going to struggle this year. Um, I think it might be the last year for David Shaw. I think their schedule is absolutely brutal, but um, I think he's got some, uh, he's certainly got some traits that you, you, you look for in, a, in an NFL quarterback. I've seen some, some um, mock drafts that have him in the first round, the back end of the first round. He's big, he's smart. Uh, he's tough. He's got a big arm. Um, I just think he needs to be more consistent. Speaking of consistency, Stephen Montez at Colorado, uh, he's going to have mm-hmm. behind Jerry Judy, arguably the best, well, not even arguably, probably the best receiver in, in college football in LaVisca Chenault to throw to. Um, I saw Montez on a number of occasions last season watching Chenault and came away very impressed. If he can step up the consistency level, and it's a big if, but he has everything that you you would look for in a high end NFL quarterback. He's big, he's athletic, he's got a great arm, but he just needs to work better uh, inside the pocket. I, I, and I'm intrigued, uh, obviously, by Jacob Eason, look, the kid at Washington. It's a, such a quarterback friendly system um, for the Huskies. That the hype behind him when he went to Georgia was absolutely massive. Obviously, Jake from uh, won the job there. But the same thing has happened. Justin Fields went to Ohio State. Eason had to sit out for a year. Fields doesn't. But this is now this is now Eason's team. And, and Washington has a huge chance nationally. But he has a massive chance to move himself into the top 10. He's got a monster arm. I mean, he's got a, there's not a throw he can't make. And reports out of Washington uh, have, been, uh, have been very favor, favorable in terms of the way that he's performed. Um, I'm very intrigued to see how he will do because he could be, you know, he could be... He, People talk about Justin Herbert being the Pac-10 or Pac-12 quarterback that everybody's looking at. It could easily be Jacob Eason. You know, he could overtake mm. Justin Herbert with a massive year. Um, those are some of the guys that I'm I'm keen on. I know people talk about Brian Lewerke and not so high on him, and Kellen Mond not so high on him. I quite like Ian Book. I think he's a I think he's a, an interesting guy. I don't see him as a, a particularly a high round draft pick, but he's somebody that could you know could get the job done in a sort of a you know, I think he has sort of backup to slash starter material. At, mm. You know, he's certainly a very intelligent guy. Um, and I think he flies under the radar. I think he reads defenses really well. And the other guy, obviously, who at least bears watching, given history of um, Oklahoma and given the fact that he's played in three national championships in the last three seasons, um, is Jalen Hurts. You know, he's going to Oklahoma. Um, this is going to be a fascinating study. I mean, people are talking about how He's not been evacuating the pocket nearly as much in, in practice. Um, Lincoln Riley's teaching him how to throw the ball properly. And if you can teach him that, then by God, look out. Because, you know, talk about a leader, talk about a smart kid, talk about an athlete. I mean, if he can add 
you know, proper legitimate, you know, 65, 68% completion percentage to that. I mean, look out everybody because, you know, he could be in, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. fascinating, it's a fascinating study. What about you, Chris? Because I know there's some guys, certainly in the SEC, a couple of guys that you're really keen on. Yeah, well, I think that first off, I, I kind of like to group these guys. I kind of think like to think of them a little bit thematically. And Jacob Easton, I think you're right. Everybody is is heavily anticipating that guy. Um, they're they're going to want to see him. He's got the big arm. He's got the reputation. We haven't seen him on the field in a couple in, in a couple of years, um, but obviously the people are going to be looking at him. Uh, the the group you talked about, some of the guys you talked about, KJ Costello, Sam Ellinger is another one at Texas. Oh, yes. um, Steven Montez of Colorado, Nate Stanley of Iowa. Iowa. These are guys yeah. that that very much have that professional look to them, and it's it's how they're built, it's the way they're structured, and it's the way they play. They they look like pros. I mean, and, and when I see a lot of people look at them and watch them play and they're like oh yeah that guy looks like a pro and that's what that's what you say about uh, about any of those guys there are some other guys that you know the you there are sort of two schools out there you see especially on draft twitter there's the physical profile junkies um and then there's the analytics guys and um and the physical profile kind of guys will be looking for to get adventurous with people like bryce perkins of uh, Virginia, Felipe Franks, who you mentioned before, who um, say what you want about, you know, you mentioned, uh, I think you kind of implied something about him. If you can get him to play well, then you're doing well as a coach. Um, but physically, his profile is phenomenal, right? Um, and Riley Neal, who is now, I believe, at Vanderbilt, um, yeah. Cole McDonald of Hawaii, and uh, Kellen Mond of Texas A&M. Like, these guys all fit it. I mean – if you want that size, arm, you know, feet, you know, the the physical, big, very attractive profiles, those are those guys. But they are roller coasters um, as far as watching them play. Now, on the other hand, the analytics guys, they are going to be fanatics for two guys we talked about before, Derek King of Houston yeah. and Mason Fine of uh, North yeah. Texas. North Texas. Now, yeah, I I appreciate what both of those guys have to offer. I I mean they they're they're guys quarterbacks after my heart because of the way they play, um, mm. as far as their feet and their ability to be faster than the game, and to make plays because they're faster than the game. The problem is we know we've talked about this before. They are small, and I you know we Kyler Murray was small. We know that, but Derek King has already taken bad injuries because of his size, right? And uh, Mason Fine didn't make it through the season either right. uh, with his size. And Mason Fine is like, you know, he's, he's one of those five foot ten guys. He's 5'10", yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and Derek King, I mean, we talked about, he's not six, right? He's, he's, he's under six, um, and he's skinny. And, uh, and these guys both run around, and they both don't have great arms. That's the other thing. You know, Kyler Murray was small, but, man, he's got an arm. Um, yeah. Derek King, Mason Fine don't. But the analytics guys will absolutely adore these guys, and they're going to keep pumping them. Uh, physical Derek King had 50 touchdowns last year. I know. He's, he's unbelievable, touchdowns. right? Unbelievable. 36 passing, uh, 14 rushing. He is yeah. an absolute – I mean, talk about a Heisman guy. You know, if mm-hmm. he stays healthy all year, and they've got an uh, – I mean, they play Oklahoma week one. It's Jalen Hurts against Derek King in the first game <laughs> of the season on, on next Saturday. That's I mean, going to be explosive. That's going to be a great game because yeah, – um, me... And obviously, and obviously uh, what's-his-name's gone down there from West Virginia. Um, head coach has now gone down there. 
They've brought in a load of JUCO guys. Houston have, um, mm-hmm. and you've got you've got Derek King hopefully back to 100% after the injury. And you talk about fine. He reminds me of Brock Purdy, the kid I love out of Iowa State. Sure. Um, Purdy a bit a bit taller, but fine again. Doesn't have the biggest arm, but he's accurate. He looks great in the pocket. Make can make, you know, all the all the throws that you're looking for. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, Graham Howell has gone to USC. He was his head coach at North Texas. Graham Howell's taken over as offensive coordinator at USC and potentially uh, head coach when the inevitable happens and uh, and Clay Helton gets fired. But um, but hmm. it'll be interesting to see how how that development happens without the the guy that's kind of helped him move up through the ranks as it were but um yeah two very intriguing prospects now let me ask you guys about a guy who uh, i watched play he didn't particularly have a great season but he sure is fun to watch and he actually led the pac-12 in passer rating versus pressure and and you know we we already took a dump on pff earlier in the show so i'm going <laughs> to use them when it suits me okay and that's khalil tate oh yeah it wasn't Justin Herbert. It wasn't Steven Montes. It was Khalil Tate who led the Pac-12 in passer rating versus pressure last year. And he looks like something to me. What do you think, yeah. Simon? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll let Chris do it because I know Chris, is, uh, Chris really likes him. So it's probably fair if I let Chris have the first, uh, first shot at Tate because I know he's one of his favorite players. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I've been watching him for um... – more than a year now uh, because his first year really – he had one of the best rushing years for a quarterback that anyone's ever seen um, a couple of years 1,411 back. yards. Yeah. And like 40 touchdowns or something like that, right? And, and like if you, if you account for sack yardage and stuff like that, uh, then I think it was like a 10 yards per carry too or something yeah. like that. Well, he, had, he had two games of 230 yards or more, which is yeah. ridiculous. Absolutely amazing. He's got true 4-4 speed. Um, if he, especially if, when he gets to the combine time or pro days and all that, if he trains for it, if he's trying to get fast for it, which some quarterbacks go one way or the other sometimes, um, then he'll, he'll be in the four fours. I've, I've looked at him versus other guys running against other guys that run four fours. Yeah. And, um, and unlike Lamar Jackson, by the way, he's going to be over 220 pounds. Yeah. And, and he's six two as well. Yeah. yeah, and he has an arm. He has a hell of an arm, actually. I mean, the, the, the throws that this guy is capable – he can throw it from anywhere to anywhere. I mean, that's that's the way that he can uh, – rolling right, rolling left. I mean, he makes some throws that just make you drool. I mean, this is – as Jim Harbaugh would say – used to say about Cam Newton, he's plutonium-grade raw material. And the problem is the emphasis on raw. And, and that's, be, that's when you start looking at – so, yeah, he under Rich Rodriguez, he did a lot of rushing and he did a phenomenal job. He was also very efficient that year um, and two years ago. But then as he, Kevin Sumlin takes over – he kind of handcuffed him. He and this was on purpose, uh, from what I'm told. Like this was this was on purpose. He didn't want him running so much. He didn't want him to be that sort of quarterback. He wanted for development purposes. He wanted them to develop his pocket presence and and um, and it was rough. It was rough for the first half of the year, or at least for the first couple of games of the year, trying to get him to do that. Um, but you know, he did bounce back. And at the end of the year, I mean, he was he was phenomenal. The the bulk of the Pac-12 schedule, he um, he did something like you know uh, he had nine yards per attempt. He had fifteen in the last four 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 games. He had fifteen passing touchdowns, only four interceptions. He had one hundred and seventy yards rushing. I mean, he's he was phenomenal in the last four games of the year. Um, he was efficient again over the the entire period. You know, the first year and then the second year. 
So he's really, he's really, really intriguing. He's, he reminds me of Robert Griffin in that a year before Robert Griffin was drafted, you weren't talking about Robert Griffin, right? You were, and people weren't talking about Robert Griffin. They're, they're thinking even that he's, you know, position switch guy. Um, and Khalil Tate, I think, is a lot, of pe- a lot of people are thinking that way about him as well uh, because he is a little bit elementary in the pocket. And he does have sort of an unforced error thing going on for him with some of his throws. It's a little bit like Josh Allen, and we don't want to get into that. Um, so he does have some of that going. But I always look – I go back to the efficiency, the passer rating – and stuff like that. He ranked number 13 in NCAA passer rating in 2017. And, and even in it's sort of a down year, the first year with Kevin Sumlin was still only number 22 out of like 107 passers. I mean, it was, it was really good. And then you look at the pure foot and arm talent combination is just absolutely stunning. Um, so yeah, he absolutely is one of the guys he, I've had him on watch for a couple of years Listen, the four, the four guys are the four guys. Tua Tungabailoa, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm, and Simon, you mentioned Desmond Ritter. For me, Desmond Ritter's like number five right behind those guys, mm-hmm. right? But then right behind him, Khalil Tate. And that's just because I want guys that can hurt. I, I don't just want guys that have the look of a pro, right? Because mm. everybody, everybody in the pros has the look of a pro. All right? But only a few of them are really good pros. Only a few of them are franchise quarterbacks. I want a guy that looks like he's going to hurt defenses. Khalil Tate can hurt defenses. I know that. Um, can he settle down? Can he, can he really develop his, um, his pocket presence and his pocket awareness or his awareness of the field from the pocket, his ability to pass? That's what remains to be seen. That's what this year is for. All right, and we've got to get out of here, but I'll leave you guys with this stat from Khalil Tate. His sophomore year, that year where he had all those rushing yards, Mm-hmm. At four straight games with a run of 70 yards or more. <laughs> That's a quarterback, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Enjoy the game. I will be at the game. I'll be at, at the press box. Let's hope. Let's hope for the best, okay? It's let's not just, Blake Bortles. You know, let's, let's hope for the best here coming up here what on is, Thursday. What a statement that is just in itself. <laughs> what a statement. <laughs> All right. That's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys next week. And when we talk to you guys next week, we'll just be putting together the roster for the regular season because, you know, who really cares about a fourth preseason game? But all right, till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. 
Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.